Hi, my name is Wilma May, and I'm the founder of DRK Beauty. We like to pronounce it Dark Beauty. I know that as a woman of color, creating our own well-being toolkit isn't easy. On this podcast, I will explore the wonderful and sometimes mysterious world of healing, whether it's shedding light on the many forms of therapy or delving into the spiritual world to uncover ancient modalities that still exist and are there to help us. We are all unique, and each of us should be empowered to create and customize our own well-being journey. Hopefully, you'll learn about new approaches to healing or ancestral practices that have stood the test of time, or people forging new paths and wellness that you should know about. Consider this your home for healing, because it is your birthright. So we decided to do a podcast, and this is the first episode, which I thought I would share a little bit more about me and my background and how Dark Beauty came to be. We have some amazing guests in the upcoming episodes, but I thought it made sense to kind of let you know who I am as a human and why helping women of color develop their own well-being journey is really important to me. Gosh, I don't even know where to start. The thing is, is I have a lot of stories and anyone who's worked for me will tell you, (laughs) I like to regale folks with some of the stories from my past. I am in my 50s, 54 to be exact. So I have lived a life, but I thought what I'll start with is just to tell a little bit about my parents and where they came from and my upbringing. And I will try and bring that right up to the present day. So my mother was an amazing, beautiful black woman. She was the dark-skinned black woman, and she grew up in Chester, Pennsylvania. If you don't know Chester, I haven't been in a long time. So what I will say is that it definitely was a depressed area. And I believe it still is is also a black area. This is where I was born. My mom was brought up in a brothel, and also it was a gambling den, and she was raised by her grandmother. Her mother, my understanding is, you know, she liked to party a lot. So my grandmother stepped in. Now, my mom was bright. She had two brothers. All of them had different fathers, but she excelled at school and she got into Penn State University in the 1940s, which was a rare thing for a black woman. So she was just already a badass. She met my father and I'm still trying to find out the date when they met, but she was waiting tables in Chester and he came in one night and she actually was engaged to someone else is the story, but he came in and my dad was a charming man. And in fact, in in Philadelphia, they call him the lovable rogue. I'll tell you a little bit about him in a minute, but they stayed up all night talking in the diner and they got married the next day. So I'm not sure what happened to the guy that she was engaged to, but yeah, they got married and they had four kids. My father was a civil rights leader in the 60s, and we were all born in Chester. And I have three brothers. My father, his name is Stanley Branch, so you can Google him if you fancy it. But he was quite prominent in Philadelphia and up and down the East Coast. There are pictures of him with Malcolm X and Also, I know my mother used to tell us stories about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. coming over to the house and she would cook for him. 
because of course that's where he went to seminary school was in Chester, Pennsylvania. So I have this amazing rich heritage and a mother who not only does she love her children, but she really wanted the best for them and she really wanted a great education for them. So in 1970, I was three years old and they decided that it would be better for us to live someplace where our education would be better. And so my mother took the decision to move us out to the main line of Philadelphia, the suburbs of Philadelphia. So we were in a predominantly white area. We first grew up in Devon, Pennsylvania, and the apartment complex we grew up in, which was at the time called the Devon Stratford Apartments, is called Sugartown Muse now, I believe, was actually a really diverse, culturally rich area. We had a lot of diversity, a lot of different nationalities that were there. Vietnamese, Black, South Asian, white. So it was really a rich environment in many ways. And I have really fond memories of growing up in that part. By the time I was about nine or 10, we moved to Villanova. That was very white. I didn't really see many other Black families living in that area at that time. And I felt very isolated. I had really good friends. I had a few really, really good friends, some of whom are my friends today. My my best friend was a woman named Bridget, and unfortunately she passed away almost 10 years ago now. But I didn't really have Black friends. And the Black girls that I did know, they weren't really big fans of mine. And so I never really felt accepted in the Black community But I also didn't really feel accepted in the white community either. You know, I was always othered. And I didn't have words for that, but I always felt it. And I didn't know what to do about that. In the meantime, my mother, she had been an educator in the school system when I was born. And she used to run the dance programs and the physical education programs in the school district in Philadelphia. But around the turn of the decade, around 1970, my mother started following a spiritual path. That's another episode, which I'm going to save for later, but she became this really amazing spiritual teacher, which is something that also colored my life. So we didn't actually spend a lot of time going into our blackness or black history. And I certainly didn't learn a lot about it in school. So as a result of all of that, I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. And it wasn't until my junior year in high school, I had been accepted to study abroad in France. I really jumped at the chance to do this because one, my mother really wanted me to do this. And I knew it was going to make her proud of me. But I also really looked forward to the adventure of being in a different country, being away from my comfort zone of being at home. And the idea of learning to speak French was really, really attractive to me. So I did it. I went to live in France in a small village for a year, a little place called Saint-Marcelin, which is known for its cheese. The French call it La Tome. It's a generic name, La Tome, but then Saint-Marcelin is the village where it's, it made it famous. 
So I lived there for a year and I lived with a family, a French family, and their daughter went to live with my family for a year. And it changed my life. For the first time ever, I felt that I belonged. I, I actually get a little teary when I talk about this because I belonged. No one cared about the color of my skin. They were intrigued by the fact that I was American, but everyone was so excited to have me there and I was included. I was included in all the groups and I I could just be myself. And I finally started to understand who I was as a person. And I learned how to speak fluent French. The family I lived with, the mother and the father were both language teachers at the school that I went to, but neither of them spoke English at the time. And so the father taught Italian, the mother taught German, and she was of Polish descent. And I had no television. And I rode my bike to school every day. I didn't get a school bus. And there was no shopping mall. And it was a completely different existence for me, having grown up in the suburbs. Every night, she would have me read from French books so she could correct my accent and she would knit in front of the fireplace. And that's what I would do. And then sometimes I would hang with my friends in the evenings talking about French politics and French literature and interesting things. I I learned how to do fencing. I used to take a fencing class. I learned how to play piano. I also learned modern dance while I was there. I was doing all of these amazing things that I never would have done back in Villanova. And, you know, I had my first love there, and it was just this magnificent, and yet it was a magnificent time, and yet I missed home. But when I got back a year later, A, I was a woman. Two, I drank wine, but not drinking to get drunk like a lot of the teenage kids did. It was just, you had wine with dinner, and it was a nice thing to do. I spoke fluent French, and I discovered that my French teacher didn't really know how to speak French. (laughs) So all of these changes, and I also realized why I didn't fit in. And that was okay. I wasn't upset anymore by that. But I also knew I really couldn't wait to get out of there. And I graduated in 1985. And from there, I got the hell out of Villanova, and I moved to Philadelphia, and then eventually moved to New York, where I went to NYU. And at least in New York, even though New York was really, really rough back in the late 80s, it was this magical place where you could really invent your life and who you were and who you hung out with. And it wasn't defined by anything other than what you decided it was defined by. And so I studied business at NYU. And I was in New York for almost four years when I had the opportunity to go and study abroad. I was going to study English common law, and I was accepted to study in Britain. And at that time, like I said, New York was really rough. It was the 80s. It did take its toll on me. And I did find it really, you know, you had to be tough too to be in New York. So I got to London and I was supposed to be there for three months. 
and I met my first husband, and I ended up staying there 30 years. So occasionally you will hear me say words that don't really sound American, and <laughs> my, my accent's still a bit funny, but that's because I ended up staying abroad for, for a long time. And England at that time for me was also a breath of fresh air. There was a part of me that could just turn up as Wilma, as Wilma May. I didn't have to be Black Wilma, and I didn't have to really turn up as anything other than myself. My career started in PR, and it went from zero to hero very quickly. And I had two children, had a great marriage, and life in the 90s in the UK for me was wonderful. And I thought I'd had it all figured out. I thought that life was pretty good. And there was no reason for me to go back to America apart from to see my mother. And I built a life there. And during that time, I never really connected with the side of me that was a black woman. Because for me at that time, that just meant that I had to deal with race and I didn't want to deal with race. I just wanted to live. And I didn't experience racism the way that racism is experienced in America. I knew it existed in the UK, but it's a little bit more underhanded there. And I'll talk about that another time. But in the field that I worked in, I didn't experience racism like a direct racism. In fact, my, like I said, my, my career excelled. I got job offers like all the time and I worked really hard and, you know, I tried to be a good mom and a good career girl and a good wife. And I kind of went intense at all of it, which by the way, is not super healthy either. And I'll again, talk about that in another episode, but I ended up not really excelling at all of it. Eventually my marriage started to break down. I definitely didn't feel like I was a great mom and I just didn't really know who I was. And it was really difficult because I didn't know how to name the decline. I didn't know how to pinpoint what was wrong or what I was experiencing. I had never, ever done any real work on myself. Therapy certainly didn't seem like something I should do because I was a black woman. My mom was a strong spiritual teacher and therapy was for white folks. That was their thing. I could figure it out. I felt like it was expected that I would figure things out. And so I muddled through without really understanding what was going on and why certain areas of my life were crumbling around me. And so my marriage broke down and around the turn of the century, around 2000, 2001, I think I got divorced. And, you know, it was really, really hard because I was trying to really figure out what was wrong with me. That was a whole new chapter in my life. I left the profession of PR a few years later and dated and got into relationships and got out and, you know, just was kind of like trying to figure it out, what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I did want to be an entrepreneur, but again, it's not set up for black women, especially in the UK. 
And then I met my husband, my, my second husband, my last husband. <laughs> and he was leaving a relationship and we started dating after, you know, he had been separated for a while and I was divorced. And that's another long story, which again, I'll regale you with another time. But basically, we leapt right into this relationship and didn't really know what we were doing. And he has three boys, I have my two kids, and there was a lot going on. And there was still a lot I didn't really understand about myself. But we ended up getting married. And we moved out to the countryside. And we got a great big old house out there and a lot of land. And we thought life is great. We thought this was how we were going to start building our life. But again, neither of us had really done any work on ourselves, and the the cracks started to appear very quickly. And eventually, I started crumbling again. But this time, I crumbled so much that I couldn't even physically move. I couldn't get out of bed. And so as a result, the only thing I could do was to call a friend. And this friend was one of the most amazing, and is one of the most amazing humans in my life. Only person really that I felt would catch me. And he called up, I had just started seeing a therapist, and he called up this therapist and said, you know, Wilma is really in a bad way. What do we do? And the therapist said, get her to the Capio. The Capio is a psychiatric hospital. Now, I was apparently somebody that had their shit together. Clearly, I didn't. And I went into the Capio Hospital. I had no idea what this was going to be about, but I ended up staying six weeks. And this was the beginning of my journey into doing the work on myself, understanding who I was and who I am, and mental health and the importance of that. So this podcast is a little bit about that journey. This podcast is also about interviewing and discovering the practitioners of so many different modalities that can help us as women of color, not just black women, but all women of color, because we we have a unique experience. And this world isn't designed for us to heal ourselves in the way that it is for white folks. And so I have been on this amazing adventure and journey to really discover the the modalities, the practitioners, the services that are out there for us to really build our own well-being toolkit, which is what I did after coming out of hospital. And I'm really, really happy to report that me and my husband are still together. We've had our ups and downs, but I'm more in love than I ever have been. And that's because we both have done a lot of work on ourselves in the last 10 years. This experience is really what led me to found Dark Beauty. And a lot of folks think that Dark Beauty is a beauty company, but the beauty refers to the beauty of who we are inside and out. And I really want to explore that with you in this podcast. I really want to share with you some of the things that I've learned but I also want to discover more. There are a lot of things out there in the world that 
I think can really help us to develop as women of color and to really own who we are and to really to embrace that healing is our birthright. That's the goal for this podcast. And I really, really do hope that you'll enjoy it, that you'll subscribe and you'll tell your friends about it, but also that you'll engage with us on our Facebook group, on Instagram, on our website. And if you really want to get in touch with me, you can do so at healing at thisisdrkbeauty.com and send an email, make some suggestions. Maybe you're interested in learning about a particular topic. And I am so excited to go and explore and find out about these different things that I think will help us. So let me know if you have any ideas. I'll go into more depth about my experience in other episodes, but for now, I want to leave it there. And I really, really hope that you enjoy this journey. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, The Healing Home. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to leave you with one last thought, though. This is from one of my favorite teachers, Pema Chodron, who's a Buddhist monk. And she writes about this in a small book that I have on my my meditation table. It's called Awakening Loving Kindness. And here she says, when we talk about mindfulness and awareness, we're not talking about something stern, a discipline that we impose on ourselves so that we can clean up our act and be better and stand up straighter and smell nicer. It's more that we practice some sense of loving kindness toward microphones and orioki bowls and our hands and each other and this room and all the doors we go into, in and out of. Mindfulness is loving all the details of our lives and awareness is the natural thing that happens. Life begins to open up and you realize that you're always standing at the center of the world. I leave that with you for today. So join our Facebook group community. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash dark beauty. You can also find us on Instagram at this is DRK beauty. And you can also find us on our website, which is www.thisisdrkbeauty.com. We also have a GoFundMe page. If you just Google DRK beauty on GoFundMe, you will find us. And if you feel so inclined, we happily accept donations. It helps us to keep our free therapy initiative running, which we do give away free therapy. It goes through our nonprofit initiative, Dark Beauty Healing. And we have over 120 clinicians in our network who have donated 10 or more hours of pro bono therapy. To explore therapy for yourself, please visit our website. Click on the link on the homepage, which will lead you to our Dark Beauty Healing directory. There you'll find your state, and then you can see in your state if there is a clinician who still has hours available. Check back regularly as hours can increase or decrease at any time. And if you feel emotionally or mentally unsafe and in need of urgent assistance, please immediately contact 911 or the National Crisis Hotline by dialing 988 on your phone or calling 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 in the United States. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining. Bye-bye.